revealing thy glory to thy disciples as far as they could bear it. Let thine everlasting light shine upon us sinners through the prayers of the Theotokos, O giver of light, glory to Hi there. Good evening. My name is Father Athanasios. I am the dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome back to another live stream Bible study on 1 Corinthians. If you're new, welcome. If it's been a while, welcome back. Uh, let me share with you how this works. So our Bible studies here, if you're not familiar with us, our Bible studies are based on the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. And what that means is this. St. John Chrysostom, who was at the time that he wrote these homilies, which we believe actually were Bible studies as opposed to liturgical homilies, was approximately 385, we're saying. I can never remember the exact date, when he was actually a priest in Antioch. And so that gives us a couple of benefits. St. John Chrysostom is preaching on the words of St. Paul. So we have St. Paul's context from the first century, and we have St. John Chrysostom's context from the fourth century. In addition, we're studying Corinthians, and the city of Corinth at the time of St. Paul was a very um, intellectual society, wealthy society, multicultural society, highly educated society, very wealthy much like our modern-day American society. Antioch in the fourth century was the same way. So both of these give us an additional benefit to helping understand the scriptures for us in the year 2022. So tonight's session is session 17, which means that we are following homily 16. I know this is a little confusing, but that's because Session 1, if you go back at the old videos, Session 1, St. John Chrysostom calls the argument. It actually is not numbered as homily number 1. So homily numbers are one off from the session numbers. I hope that makes sense now. Oh, I mentioned you can go back and watch something. Where do you go? If you're new to our Bible study, you can go to my website at liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible-studies. That'll give you all the information you need for our Bible study on 1 Corinthians. It'll also give you information on our previous Bible study, which was on the book of Romans. In there, you click on session 17, or if you want to go back and look at session 1, click on session 1, and you'll see there a link for the study guide and a link for the video. Okay? Now, here we are live. We're in session 17, and we have people in the room. And I will admit, it's a little strange for me tonight because we're doing something a little new. I actually have my sound engineer, also known as my son, who is on the other side of the camera. You can't see him, but he's behind you. For the first time in 
all of these years that I've been doing the Bible study, I can't see the computer screen at all in front of me. I don't know how many people are watching. I can't see the live chat. I can't see whether people are um, uh, asking questions or I can't see anything but the lens of the camera. So it's a little new for me too, but I wanna thank my son for taking over uh, as my sound engineer. Oh, did I mention a live chat? Well, let me tell you something. If you can't be here in person, then live is the second best thing. And let me just tell you that our live chat room, which is sponsored by YouTube, is available if you're watching on YouTube. So if you're watching on any other platform, Facebook or even an email, you've got to go to the YouTube app or YouTube platform to be able to participate in the live chat. And that live chat is moderated by the most amazing, most talented, and might I say beautiful and good chef, my wife, Presidente Vasi. And also new tonight, she's also in the room. And I might end up regretting this, but I've even given her a microphone. So at, one, at some point, maybe if, if there's a question coming over from the live chat, she'll be able to chime in the question directly live into our Bible study. So that's a new addition. Hopefully that works, hopefully that doesn't backfire, and hopefully she doesn't take over the class. Now I say that because some people don't realize this, that my wife has the same education in the church that I do. She is also a graduate of Holy Cross Seminary. So she is an educated woman. So for all you women out there who wanna serve the church, there's a place for you as well. Okay, so Presvitera, before we get on with our prayer, why don't you tell us who's online? Father, we have Philip from Macedonia, TTK from, where is it, from Iowa, Ray and Jane from Lando Lakes, Christopher from Oregon, and South Kitchen from Wake Forest, North Carolina. Oh, that's Randy. From, from Iowa. There you go. Well, that's, that's how that is. So as they join, they'll have their live chat and President will be able to bump questions over to our live chat. Just as a reminder, for those of you who have microphones, it takes about one or two seconds to cycle on. So don't start speaking right away. Speak directly into the microphone. Um, so that reduces the amount of echo uh, in the room. Okay, so if you have not yet downloaded your study guide, you can download your study guide at our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org. But let's go ahead and begin with our prayer. Switch over to the prayer card. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master, the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, a light of our souls and bodies, do we give glory, together with the Father, our beginning in your all holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. All right, so I mentioned it is session 17, homily 16, and it covers 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 
chapter 6, verse 11. So if you happen to be in the Orthodox Study Bible, you can find that on page 1557, if you have to get to it. Okay? Do I have a volunteer to read? Anybody volunteer? Anybody volunteer? I know you like to read. You're so shy over there. Okay. Maria, you want to read for me tonight? Oh, you want to read in Greek? No, we'll have to read it in English. Okay, I'll read. You want me to read tonight? Okay, I'll read tonight. All right, so chapter 5, verse 9, through chapter 6, verse 11. So there's a, a big chunk of Scripture there, and it is a lot of stuff for us to cover. So let's dig right into it. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Now, therefore, it is already in utter failure for you to go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Wow! What a lot! And yet not much. <laughs> Meaning, he's, there, I mean, this, this is a big topic. We started the conversation two weeks ago about sexuality and what have you. And there was, remember last week, the context, two weeks ago, the context was a man having sex with his father's wife, right? So there's all this sexual immorality going on in the church in Corinth. And so um, this, he's bringing this now, this is really the beginning of this huge section of his letter. All this introduction stuff has passed, and now we're digging in here. So as we go through, again, if you're new to our Bible study, so you can see in the study guide, you'll see text analysis, and then you'll see section one, section two, section three, etc. 
that is merely a tool so you can find where the quote is in the homily. Okay, so if you look at the study guide, not the homily, but the study guide, this one, right? If you look at the study guide, you will see tonight sec text analysis, section one. That way, when you're going through the actual homily, either online or on, in paper, you'll know because the editors of the homily give us section numbers. It is merely so you can find it in the homily text if you want to look for it. There's no other link. It's merely organized so you can find it in the homily, okay? My copy of the homily is this book, and it's got the exact same section numbers, right? So it's merely a tool for you able to find it in the homily. Then, after the text analysis, St. John Chrysostom always enters into some kind of moral teaching, okay? I call that life application. So we have two parts of the Bible study. We have the text analysis, the traditional chapter verse kind of stuff, and then we have this moral teaching which I call life application. So let's start with a text analysis and let's find in section one, you don't have to look for it, I've, I've copied it here in the study guide. The first point I want to make in section one is this, it would be impossible to avoid all sinners in the world even if we wanted to, okay? And so that's of course referencing this comment here where he says, otherwise you'd have to go out of the world, right? It is impossible to avoid all sinners in the world, even if we wanted to. And I have a footnote there in the study guide. This is eventually the impetus behind monasticism. Once the church was universal, the pious monastics left the world because even in the church, they couldn't avoid sinners. And so this understanding is there's always been this desire to avoid sinners, right? It's a natural desire. If we can avoid sinners, we avoid temptation. If we avoid temptation, we ourselves are less likely to sin. But St. Paul says, otherwise you'd have to go outside of the world. So Chrysostom points out, it's impossible to avoid all sinners in the world, even if we wanted to. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For that they might not think that he charged not this upon them as being rather imperfect and should attempt to do it under the erroneous impression that they were perfect, he shows that this were even impossible to be done, though they wished it ever so much. For it would be necessary to seek another world. And I think that's important for us because I think even more so today in the 21st century, we are living among people who don't look at life the same way we do, right? And it's becoming more and more difficult for us even to leave the doors of our homes without encountering people who aren't even Christian, let alone Christians who think the same way we do, right? So it's becoming more and more difficult. So I think that helps us too, especially today, to kind of ramp through our life. It's not possible to avoid sinners. So let's stop pretending it can even be done. That's the context here for St. John Christum and for St. Paul. So in the, con in the idea of context in section two of the homily, point number two, St. Paul considers context when writing to one church or another. Each community has its unique 
context, right? So this is what Christenstab says here. For the fault in this case and in that was not the same. If, you're, if you go back and read the homily, he's, he's, he's making a point that St. Paul doesn't say the exact same thing here that he said in, the, in, his, in his epistle to the Thess Thessalonians. That's the context of St. John Chrysostom's comment here, which you see more uh, in the actual, in the homily. For there he is reproving indolence, but here fornication and other most grievous sins. So that helps us understand that when we're reading Scripture in general, but in this case, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's got a particular context that he is addressing. Okay, and the advice he gives to the church in Corinth is not necessarily universally applicable to all places at all times. Now, that is a very slippery slope, I will admit it. Because the, 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 the temptation then today would be, oh, our context is different, therefore we don't have to listen to St. Paul. That's not what Chrysostom is saying. Chrysostom helps us look at the underlying teaching of what St. Paul is getting at. Not specifically the examples, if that makes any sense. Right? So every church that St. Paul wrote to has different contexts. For example, just going back to verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Even the Orthodox Study Bible acknowledges that there was another letter that we don't have. Already in what we call 1 Corinthians, Sorry, someone says it sounds choppy. Okay. Did you fix it? You've got to switch it. Make sure you've got the audio on the right. Okay. You want me to pause for station identification? No, um, no but Sandra from Thailand is on. She, she okay. Nobody can hear you, so that's okay. Sandra from Thailand is on, and otherwise we're looking at Are we ready? It doesn't sound choppy to me. Oh, yeah, someone else says not choppy. Okay, so maybe it's just Thailand. Okay. All right. So we're moving on? Oh. Angeliki from Canada is on too. Hi, Angeliki from Canada. She's an old friend. Okay, so where were we? It is a very slippery slope. I don't want us to think, oh yeah, so there's a letter that St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We're here in 1 Corinthians, but he's already referencing a letter he had already written. So clearly there's more out there that we don't have. Okay, I'd love to see what that letter had. Okay, obviously that helps us understand, I think, in a, just a parenthesis here, right? So on this idea of context, if this in fact is the second letter to St. Paul is writing to them, and he already addressed the sexual immorality question in the first letter, 
and now he's having to address it again. Meaning, they didn't heed his advice the first time. That could explain why he comes down so hard on them now. Again, not knowing what he wrote in the first one. But he's saying, look, I already told you this. And that could explain the line, don't even eat with such a person. In other words, look, I tried giving you some advice. You didn't follow it. So now I've got to give you more strict teaching because you didn't follow, again, not knowing what he wrote in the first letter. I'm, that's just a theory. It's not anything other than that. Please don't you know, quote me to any kind of patriarchal assembly or whatever. I'm just, I'm theorizing that we have to understand in the context, this is actually not the first letter he's writing to them. And in our human nature, if he already wrote about sexuality once, and he's having to do it again, that could explain why he's coming on so strong here is all I'm saying, right? I don't want to make more of it than a, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, as they say, right? Okay, so, section three, my third point here I want to make. Different people receive different punishment for different goals. Now remember, this is something that's going to help us understand. We have St. John Chrysostom, who's helping us understand St. Paul, and we're understanding what St. John Chrysostom is experiencing also in the fourth century, right? So all of this is coming together to help us in our spiritual growth. Chrysostom says this, on which account one might reasonably question why in that case he conceded that the sinner should be severely punished and stoned, but in the present instance, not so. Rather, he leads him to repentance. Why then were the lines drawn in the former instance one way and in the latter another? For these two causes, one, because they were led to, into a greater trial and needed greater long-suffering, the other and truer one, because these, by their impunity, were more easily to be corrected, coming as they might to repentance. But the others were likely to go on to greater wickedness." Right? And, and again, these are the things that comfort me because one of the things that we tend to respond to is, well, you didn't tell him to do the same thing. Why, don't, why am I getting different rules than he's getting? Right? Well, because A, we're different people. B, we have different sins. And three, right, we have a different purpose for the various punishments. You're a teacher. Do you treat all your students the same? Of course not, because they're not all the same. I mean, you treat them with the same love and the same courtesy, but you have to, you have to, go to them and say, what's going to help them learn, right? St. Paul does the same thing. St. John Chrysostom does the same thing. Christ does the same thing. We should expect the church to do the same thing. So we're not all going to be treated the same. And I can tell you, in my own personal experience here in confession for so many years, I don't give every single person the exact same advice, even on the same particular sin because everyone has their own context. Everyone has their own struggles, their own passions, their own cross. And so I've got to give a particular uh, advice and a particular sometimes timoria even, sometimes almost a penance, based on that particular person's spiritual context. And that's the basis. St. Paul says that, St. John Chrysostom says that, and we can embrace that rather than getting I think jealous about it. Well, why did they, you know, they didn't get that kind of a treatment. That's 
going down the wrong going down the wrong path. Okay, point number four, section number four. The world has no authority to judge the church. Chrysostom says this. For the present, he thoroughly sifts the former subject, namely, that they should not submit matters to external arbitration. For, says he, how can it be otherwise than absurd that one who is at variance with his friend should take his enemy to be a reconciler between them? And how can you avoid feeling shame and blushing when a Greek sits to judge a Christian? And if about private matters, it is not right to go to law before Greeks, how shall we submit to their decisions about other things of greater importance? Obviously now, we being those of us who are Greek, kind of saying, what do you mean about this? this is, in context here is Greeks at the time of this writing are not necessarily all faithful believers because this is the context of St. Paul, right? Where the Greeks were still just now being discovering the church. But nonetheless, I think this is an interesting line from Chrysostom. It can be otherwise absurd that one who is at variance with his friend should take his enemy to be a reconciler between them. So who's the enemy in this example? The non-believer. Right? So if we're struggling with our, each other as members of the church, how dare we think an enemy of the church, meaning a non-believer, a pagan, a this, a that, we're going to put them in some kind of a position of authority as adjudicator, as arbitrator? I'm sorry. Right? You don't even know our context, spiritually speaking. You know? And so there's this, there's this, this, this position that the world has no place even helping us reconcile because they don't even appreciate our worldview, right? I think it's a pretty powerful statement. Now, okay, here we are, 21st century America, you know, we have a very litigious society, okay? But even then, it would be beneficial among ourselves to say, you know what, instead of taking my brother to court, maybe I go to the church and ask the church to help arbitrate you know, even worse, right, when we take the church to court. Paul, 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 right? Who is the, who are the secular courts to rule over the, to rule over the church? Okay? Section five, point number five. Now, so, if the world has no position to judge the church, listen to what Chrysostom says about the church over the world. The church shall judge the world, how? By our faithfulness. Listen to Chrysostom here. How then, can you, how then can you, who art in your day to judge them, endure to be judged by them now? They will not indeed judge, taking their seat in person and demanding account, yet they shall condemn. This at least he plainly said, and if the world is judged in you, are you worthy to judge the smallest matters? He says, not by you, but in you. Just as when he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up and condemn this generation, and the men of Nineveh shall arise and condemn this generation. 
For when beholding the same sun and sharing all the same things, we shall be found believers, but they unbelievers. They will not be able to take a refuge in ignorance, for we shall accuse them simply by the things which we have done. So when we are faithful, when we are living the life that God asks us to live, our very existence is a judgment on the world, right? And that's one of the reasons why the opposite is equally true. Our moral failings are also a danger to the world because they become a scandal to the, they become a scandal to the church. That goes all the way back to where St. Paul talks in Romans and he accuses those who even approve of various behaviors are guilty of the sin because they approve of the behavior because that's what's being portrayed out to the world. So we have a great responsibility as the church to really live in a particular kind of way. And I would say the whole picture here understands that for St. Paul, how we live within the church is a higher standard than how we live among the non-believers. Okay, obviously when we are at odds with non-believers, the secular court has something to say because that non-believer does not have the same worldview that we have, right? And again, that gets back to St. Paul saying, then we have to leave the world. We don't have the desire to leave the world. Okay, section six. See, I told you there was a lot here tonight, a lot, lot, lot here tonight. Section six. remind us the, the connection to Nineveh that he references? Why was Nineveh? In case people don't know, remember about what Nineveh was. St. John Christum is talking about a whole bunch of stuff in the homily. Remember, I'm pulling out an excerpt here. So um, Nineveh was being judged by the prophet. Uh, I, don't, I don't recall the specific passage here. He's, he's drawing it from Nineveh. So I can't make that direct comparison. You have to, I have to look in the homily at the greater context in the homily because the homily, he draws more of it out, which I don't have in front of me right this second. Okay. Okay. Section six, number six. Section six, number six. It is better to be judged by inferior judges than by those outside the church to avoid, now listen to this from Chrysostom, airing our dirty laundry for the world to see. Let's hear what Chrysostom says here, because there there's an interesting nuance there. Even though there were not a single wise man the hearing ought to have been left to you who are unwise rather than that those out without should judge. For what else can it be than absurd that whereas on a quarrel arising in a house we call in one from without and feel ashamed if news gets abroad among strangers of what is going on within doors. Where the church is, the treasure of the unutterable mysteries there are things should be published without? Meaning, 
Are we going to air our dirty laundry out in the world? Right? We inside the church, we already acknowledge that we have weakness. We already acknowledge that we sometimes fall flat on our face. We are not presuming, we are not portraying ourselves as perfection. Nonetheless, to err outside the church are many failings. That becomes counterproductive because that portrays, well, then why even try? Okay, now keep in mind, in, in Chrysostom talks about this in Romans as well. He's talking about how we portray ourselves outside the church, right? And so he says, for example, it is better for us to hide our failings so that we are an inspiration for those to try and achieve something greater. Not that we are trying to pretend we're not failures sometimes, but at the same time, we then get the courage of winning by being, a, by being acknowledged for our success, if that makes sense. If, I don't remember what session it was, but it was in Romans where St. Paul talks about Do you remember a little bit about that from two years ago? I mean, three years ago now, whatever it was. Um, but there's this, there's this, con this, this concept where St. And St. John Chrysostom says this often, we ought to keep our sins to ourselves because it doesn't help other people other than creating more potential and more temptation for them to, to sin and be scandalized. It's not that we're trying to pretend that we're perfect. So you know what? We don't got to air that dirty laundry. So here it is again. If we're quarreling among ourselves, keep that to ourselves. We already know we're not perfect. If those outside the church are just looking for yet another reason to accuse us of, of not being real, then why give them more ammunition? Does that make sense? Um, I know it sounds almost like we're living a double life, but it's not that we're being dishonest with who we are. It's that we're trying to portray that, you know what, there's a, there's a, there's a goal here. No, we're not all perfect. In fact, we're all sinners. We acknowledge that, you know, but uh, we don't have... Yeah, we don't want to make a scandal. We have a question from the live chat. Oh, here we go. It's going to work. So um, one, one point was the church should, um, will be, um, some outside the church would call that we're not being transparent if we do not share our sins. And then, but talking about how the church has a place for that because we have confession. Was, my answer was we have confession so that we go to our spiritual father to confess our sins to be held accountable. But then the other question was, should the church hide crimes from civil authorities in that context of not doing our dirty laundry? So let me answer the second question first. Okay. The church is in no position to protect criminals. 
okay? And in that context, especially abusers and what have you. The context of what St. Paul is talking about here is not about uh, transparency. Again, people outside the church do not share our worldview. So what benefit is it to them to be involved in our internal struggles? That's the context here, okay? They share no worldview with us. So why bother involving them in our internal turmoil? Okay, that's the context of, it's not about transparency, it's about, look, they don't look at life the same way we do. Okay, I'm trying to think of, um, well, this came up in a conversation I had earlier today with somebody about, so yesterday was the Feast of St. John the Baptist. Why do we celebrate a feast with fasting? Okay, now, we understand that as Orthodox, that in the context of the beheading of St. John the Baptist, a feast is a commemoration, but is not a party. Okay, and we honor the memory of the beheading of St. John the Baptist. We honor that feast by fasting, just like we honor the Holy Cross by fasting, just like we honor Holy Friday by fasting. Now, outside the church, to someone who has no spiritual context of fasting for God and fasting for our spiritual journey, that conversation is totally lost because they don't have the same worldview we have. Because to them, a celebration is a party. A feast is a party. I, I saw something online today. I was commenting to, to Harry earlier today. We saw something about what some of the silly, stupid things people do with weddings today. Okay. And this particular context, forgive me for the distraction here, but the particular thing that we saw today was if anyone has any reason they shouldn't get married, hold your peace, or whatever the saying is, right? And some guy showed a peace, meaning a gun. Like, oh yeah, either shut up or whatever. And my response was, it makes me so sad that someone would think that's funny at a wedding. Because for us as Orthodox, the wedding itself is something sacred taking place in the church. There's two people on the beach with a judge. There's nothing sacred about it at all. So in their worldview, it's funny. In our worldview, it's ridiculous. That's what I mean by why bother leaving things outside when we don't share the same worldview. Totally loses, totally loses the concept. I just wanted to clarify the question because um, Ray had asked about crimes of, to, um, does the church hide crimes from civil authorities? Oh, and so I just asked to clarify, do you mean crimes by church leaders or crimes by laity during confession. And he said that your question, after I started asking the question, he said that your answer was satisfactory. So it doesn't really need any clarification, but this was. Did I not ask the question, was I gonna regret giving her the microphone? Never, I would never regret giving my wife the microphone.
never regret. Okay, so let's move on because we do have a lot to cover tonight. Okay. Section 7, point number 7. The sin is multiplied by revenge, sin, outsider judges, and brother versus brother. Now this is, you have to follow this train of thought to understand what I'm saying here. Here's what Chrysostom says. Again, it is a twofold crime, perhaps even threefold or fourfold. One, not to know how to bear being wronged. Another, actually to do wrong. A third, to commit the settlement of these matters even unto the unjust. And yet a fourth, that it should be done so to a brother. For men's offenses are not judged by the same rule when they are committed against any chance person and towards one's own member. Right? So, in other words, the sin is multiplied by the layers of its in a, being dealt with inappropriately. So the sin itself becomes worse. That's what he's saying here, okay? Right, and again, this, you have to go back, what's St. Paul talking about? This sexual immorality within the church. That's the context that he's talking about here. Okay. Section 8, point number 8. All sin is lumped together as bad. Sin is sin. Listen to what Chrysostom says here, and I think this is really important for us, especially in our contemporary American society. For as when discourse, discur, discoursing about the unclean, he made mention of all together. So again, on mentioning the covetousness, he brings forward all thus making his rebukes familiar to those who have such things on their conscience. For the continual mention of the punishment laid up for others makes the reproof easy to be received when it comes into conflict with our own sins. So what's the point here? Remember when we talked about why are they being treated differently? Okay, this is the opposite effect. When St. Paul talks about one sin and he lumps all these other sins together, the opposite effect of the first conversation takes place. In other words, oh, well, I may not be struggling with my sexual sin, but I am covetous, or I'm an extortioner, or I'm an idolater. So now I see the punishment of, well, I'm now worthy of that same punishment, even though this particular sin he's talking about is sexual immorality. So now I have to hear, oh, this is for me also. And then if I'm the sexual immoral person, I'm hearing, oh, this is not just for me, it's for others also. So in both cases, I'm more apt to accept the correction, right? By, be, by acknowledging that what I'm struggling with, the sin that I've got in my life, is no different than the sin that person has, and he has, and she has, and that person has, and that person has. All of us are struggling with sin, and so therefore, using the old phrase, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, 
If that person is being corrected, then I'm also being corrected. But then if I'm the one being corrected, I'm more likely to accept the correction when he brings in the other sins as well. The reason I think that's important in our contemporary American society is that Americans are pre preoccupied is, an ease, is, a, is, a, is a nice way of saying it. I mean, we are... What's the word that's even worse than preoccupied? Um, obsessed. Obsessed, thank you very much. We are obsessed with a particular few sins. Sexuality is one of them, okay? But then when St. Paul says sexuality, but also this and this and this and this and this, he's helping us understand, you know what? Sexual sins, while bad, are not different than money sins and power sins and, you know, it's all sin. And so we're more likely to accept the correction if we can acknowledge that. And in our American society, this is why I believe orthodoxy has the answer for America. Because America is obsessed with this is sin, this is okay, whereas we are saying it's all sin and none of it's okay, but because we're all in the same boat, now we can make progress. And that's why I believe orthodoxy has the answer, because we don't have this sin bad, this sin okay. And that's what St. John, St. Paul is doing in his letter, and that's the point that Chrysostom is making. He lumps all those things in together, so we are more open to the correction. But, well, he starts out, as we talked about two weeks ago, with the man having sex with his father's wife, his stepmother. That's the beginning of this context in chapter 5. Okay? And so today he's carrying that on about the sexually immoral people, but you can't avoid the world, so now he's talking about this next level of, of how to correct that behavior within the church. And he's saying, within the church. Correct the behavior within the church. Don't bother getting the outside involved. We're not going to tell them how to live. We're not going to go out there. And we're not going to let them tell us how to live. Okay? Another important context in our contemporary American situation. It's so tempting to say, oh, they should be this. They should be that. They should be that. But again, they don't share our worldview. So why are we wasting our energy in that? Okay? Point number nine, still in section eight. God will judge. As much as it is comforting to know that all sin is sin, we don't want to get too comfortable. So listen to what Chrysostom says here. Dude, says, be not deceived. Here he glances at certain who maintain what indeed most men assert now, that God being good and kind to man takes not vengeance upon our misdeeds. Let us not then be afraid, for never will he exact justice for anyone for anything. That's what people are believing. And now keep in mind, this is the 300s in Antioch. So St. John Chrysostom is acknowledging that there were people even back then that were trying to say, well, God's not going to judge us, right? 
And Chris Stum has talked about this before. Don't feel because he hasn't judged us yet that he's not going to judge us. Let's listen to the rest of this. For, and it is on account of these that he says, be not deceived. For it belongs to the extreme of error and delusion after depending on good to meet with the contrary and to surmise such things about God as even in man no one would think of. Let's not get carried away. Yes, sin is sin. We have this, we have that. Don't think that doesn't mean that God's going to judge. He will judge. And judgment is coming. And sometimes we get lulled to sleep. And Chris, I was talking about this. We talk about this in the spring. He says, don't get too comfortable. Just because God hasn't punished you now for what you've done doesn't mean judgment's not coming. Don't get too, too wrapped up in that. Okay. Section 9, point number 10. Since God has cleansed us, we should do better. Right? This is referencing, uh, what verse is this? Um, verse 11, right? And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That's where he's at here now. So section 9, point number 10. Since God has cleansed us, we should do better. Listen to Chrysostom. Knowing therefore these things, beloved, and bearing in mind the greatness of the blessing which has been wrought, let us both continue to live soberly, being pure from all things that have been enumerated. And let us avoid the tribunals which are in the forums of the Gentiles, and the noble birth with which God has freely given us, the same let us preserve to the end. Look, God has set us free from all this garbage. Let's live better. We have the opportunity. Let's not squander it. Those are my words. Point number 11, still in section 9 of the homily. Secular laws for the lawless, not the, not the faithful. Chrysostom makes one more point here. For if you choose to see how far you should keep from this sort of need, I mean that of the tribunals. By rule of the scripture, and to learn from whom the laws are appointed, hear what Paul says. In Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, he says, For a righteous man law is not made, but for the lawless and unruly. And if he says these things about the Mosaic law, much more about the laws of the heathen. Interesting point that he's making, St. John Christum is making, that if St. Paul is saying that even the Mosaic law, the scripture law was written for the lawless, much less important is the secular law when it comes to our faith. It doesn't mean that we are not obligated to obey secular law in secular matters. That's not what Chrysostom is saying here. He's saying that it's for a particular purpose. And that purpose is not how we interact with inside the church. Okay? So, that ends our text analysis. So now Chrysostom, as is normal, and so far we've only found one time where he didn't, right? where Chrysostom takes something and he launches into this moral teaching. That's where I call it our life application.
The life application starts with section 10 of the homily. And I have titled this, Don't Fight Back. Okay, so now here's where we're gonna test our new system tonight. My engineer is here, and I'm gonna ask him to go to slide number one. Okay? We're on slide number one? Yes, Harry? Okay, can you hear me okay? Harry, can you still hear me on slide number one? Yeah. So we're good, okay, so slide number one. Therefore, if you're watching online, you can still follow along with what our point is. So I'm calling our life application, Don't Fight Back. This begins in section 10 of the homily, so point number 12 on the study guide. We overcome injustice when we don't fight back. So remember, this life application is now we're taking it, how is it helping us live today? That's the point of this part of the Bible study, okay? We're no longer just studying the scripture, we're saying, how does it help us change our life? I've said a thousand times before, even if we memorize scripture, if it doesn't change the way we live, it is a useless exercise. So we always include our life application as part of our Bible study. So here we are, don't fight back. Section 10, number 12, we overcome injustice when we don't fight back. Chrysostom says this, but if you endure the injustice, you overcome. Deprived indeed of the money, but not at all of the victory which is annexed in such self-command. Now keep in mind, I'm bringing excerpts here. There's a greater context in the homily. By the way, I encourage you to read the homily in advance. It definitely helps get a, a broader understanding of our Bible study, okay? We overcome injustice when we don't fight back. Let's go to slide number two. God would not ask us to endure suffering if it was wrong. It's an important thing for us to remember. God's not asking us to do something that's wrong. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. Had it been an evil thing to suffer wrong, God would not have enjoined it upon us. For God enjoins not evil things. What know ye not that he is the God of glory? that it could not be his will to encompass us with shame and ridicule and loss, but to introduce us to the contrary of these? Therefore, he commands us to suffer wrong and does all to withdraw us from worldly things and to convince us what is glory and what is shame, what loss and what gain. Right. So when God asks us to endure the suffering, it is for our benefit, so we can learn not to be wrapped up in the worldly things, right? Remember what the word holy is. Holy in Greek, aios, not worldly. So if our goal is to become holy, to become saints, then we have to learn how not to dwell in the world. And so Chrysostom's point here is, when God allows us to suffer, we're learning how not to depend upon the world, and instead we depend upon God. There's a beautiful connection there. Okay, slide number three. And this is now is in section 11 of the homily, point number 14. We must freely accept the suffering in order to benefit from it. 
Let me say that again. We must freely accept the suffering in order to benefit from it. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. Knowing these things, therefore, let us of our free choice go on strict principles and not be like the unwise who think that they are, they are then not wronged when their suffering wrong is the result of a trial. But quite on the contrary, this is the greatest harm. And so in every case, when we exercise self-restraint in these matters, not willingly, but after being worsted in that other quarter. In other words, if we refuse to acknowledge we deserve to suffer for something, then we lose all benefit of it. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. We've, there's an injustice. So now we've, 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 we've lost all benefit. That's what Christam is trying to say here. If, on the other hand, we accept that we deserve a little bit of struggle, now we're going to benefit from it. Okay? And I think it was two weeks ago he talked about medicine, right? And we accept the bitterness of the medicine, and then it works. If we reject the medicine because it is bitter, then we can't be made well. Right? So that's the connection there to the suffering. Okay, point number 15. We are like God when we freely accept suffering. Listen to what Christendom says here. And how shall I be able? Nay, but it is not easy if you will look up into heaven, if you will behold the beauty that is in sight, and whither God has promised to receive you if you bear wrong nobly. Do this then, and looking up unto heaven, think that you are made like him that sits there upon the cherubim. Right? I mean, this is the perfect example of Christ. He willingly endured the suffering. And he didn't fight against it because he willingly embraced it. Right? So we're like God. And that's our goal, right? To be like God. Remember those old WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Well, we, we accept our suffering. And I'm remembering, I don't know how many months ago, when Chrysostom said, I think it's actually in, in Romans, by accepting our suffering, we actually suffer less. Right? Because when we're fighting against our suffering, we suffer an additional pain. And I like to make that comparison to childbirth, right? I'm not a mother. I have never been in childbirth, but I saw my wife give birth. You guys, you guys are mothers, right? When a mother is entering into labor, she's told, don't fight the contractions. Because when you fight the contractions, it hurts even more because your body is all stressed up. So women in labor are taught to relax themselves. And it ends up hurting less. The same thing is true with our spiritual struggles. St. John Christum says, if we accept our suffering, we immediately reduce our suffering merely by not fighting against it. Okay? And that is how we become like God. Point number 16. Our needs will always be met by God. For if the sparrows of the field are nourished by him, how shall he not nourish you? 
Now let us not be of little faith or of little soul, O my beloved. For he who has promised the kingdom of heaven and such great blessings, how shall he not give things present? Right? So in this context of suffering, look, God's got our back. He's going to provide the things we need. He won't always provide for our wants, but he'll always provide for our needs. Okay, and that helps us get through our suffering. Point number 17, our prize is heaven. Would you then, are you, on the, are you following the slides? Okay. Would you then desire to know in earnest how great are the blessings which await you? He opens for you the whole heaven. He makes you a fellow, fellow citizen with the saints. He fits you to bear a part in their choir. From sins he absolves, with righteousness he crowns. For if such as forgive offenders shall obtain forgiveness, those who not only forgive, but who also give largely to boot, what blessing shall they not inherit? In other words, God is ready for all this amazing blessings for us. Remember, the prize is heaven. The prize is eternal glory with God. Is, isn't that worth a little suffering every now and then? Isn't that worth not going to the secular courts? Isn't that worth not airing our dirty laundry? Isn't that worth avoiding sin? The prize is heaven. That's what he's trying to say here. All right, so that brings us to our send-off. It is a little after 8 o'clock. We've been together now for a little, about an hour. And I always want us to, be, to send off with something, right? Something that's going to send us on our way for our next week. This is an important one. You didn't lose. You won. Listen to what Christensen says here. So then you have been deprived of nothing. Yea, you have been a gainer. You have received no wrongs, rather you have been crowned, in that you have become better disciplined in soul, are made like to God, are set free from the care of money, are made possessor of the kingdom of heaven. It's a matter of how we have our perspective, our worldview. We didn't lose, we won. Okay, back to the video. So, where does that leave us? We're entering now, our takeaway is, change the way we think of life. It's called repentance, right? And in this struggle of living this holy life, in this desire to try to avoid sin, to fight temptation, etc., accept the struggle. There's victory in that struggle. We're not losing anything. We're winning every single time that we fight against this stuff, right? And so whether it is sexual immorality, whether it was covetedness or idolatry, reviling, all these sins that St. John Chrysostom and St. Paul talk about, all this stuff is wrapped up into one, right? This is what we're fighting against. And to bring... Talk to me. What happened? You're back.
Okay. Did we lose the internet for a second? We lost video for a second. Okay. So, I just lost my train of thought. What, what, was, what was I saying? You don't even remember what I was saying. Okay. Let's go through life remembering that our struggle... Oh, that's what I was saying. So, the, what St. Paul's remember, reference, they weren't even trying to change their behavior. Okay, that's the context here of where St. Paul's leading us. Is this guy wasn't even ashamed that he was sleeping with his stepmother. He wasn't even trying to change his behavior. They weren't even trying to correct his behavior. It was a free-for-all. And he's saying, look, fight against it. Correct it within. Don't worry about without. And it's worth it because the prize is heaven. Okay? When we don't fight against it is when we cannot be made well. I think that's the, the context. You didn't lose, you won. So that brings us to another, the end of another Bible study here. But is there any final questions before we close off? Um, there, was, there is some discussion going on right now about sexual um, sins in the context even in marriage. And, and so the question was, is there a sexual sin in marriage? Meaning, can someone? The the, the um, there was confusion because they heard sexual expression should only be done in for the sake of procreating, and then on the other extreme, it should be with um w with the sense of anything goes because we're married, and so I, re I I gave some responses and there's some conversation, but maybe I don't know if you want to save it for a private conversation with. Or ask, I'll have her message you. Whatever you want to, however you want to answer it. I will answer it this way. Even in marriage, sin can be, sex can be sinful. Okay? Um, but that's a very nuanced conversation within marriage with a husband and a wife, etc. That's not at all what he's talking about here. Okay, this context is very clearly the incest, the this, the that. So, in a different conversation, yes, even in marriage, sex can be sinful, but that's got a whole different conversation which has nothing to do with the, this particular topic, so I'll just, leave it, I'll just leave it at that then. So, here we are. We are 8.08, so it's been an hour and six minutes since we started. I try my best to keep you to an hour, so I owe you six minutes, but I think last, last week, two weeks ago, was less than an hour, so maybe we're already even. Anyway, so next week we have session 18, homily 17. I encourage you to read the homily in advance. Again, it gives you a greater perspective. I normally make the study guide available one or two days before, so check out the website. You'll be able to find it there. If you subscribe to my email list and queue Bible studies as information you want the updates on, then you'll be able to receive that directly in the mail when it is made available. Until next week, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ.
Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.